0: This is Caleb, and I'm so grateful that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. Today, I am honored to be joined by Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I'm going to be talking with her uh, about a lot of things concerning mental health, but also about her brand new book, The Soul of the Helper, and so really excited to dig down into that conversation here in just a few minutes. However, this does happen to be your first time listening to The Learner's Corner. I want to let you le- want to let you know that there's two things that drive a lot of what we do here. And the first one is the belief that we want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations. Because as you've probably gone throughout life, you've realized that there, there are some people that you could talk with things about and then there are other things that you can't talk with people about. And maybe you're afraid of what the response is going to be from... That person. And I think one of those subjects where it could be really difficult to talk with people about is that of mental health. And here on the podcast, we want to create a place to where we can have those conversations and we can talk about our mental health and them and figuring out how to care for ourselves and care for others well in terms of that as well. And the second thing is, is that we truly believe that we can learn from anyone. And from everyone and from everything and from anything, regardless of whether or not we agree with someone completely on that as well. And so if you enjoy what you're hearing from today, or if you have something in particular that you would like us to talk about, I would love to hear from you. And the best way to reach out to me is LearnersCornerPodcast at gmail.com. Now, today, as I mentioned, I'm talking with Holly and she has released this brand new book called The Soul of the Helper. And let me tell you a little bit about holly so holly is the associate dean for research and faculty development and an associate professor at baylor university's diana r garland school of social work she studies religion and spirituality and health and mental health and is especially interested in whether and how mental and behavioral health therapists discuss their clients religious spiritual beliefs in treatment she developed and validated the Religious Spirituality Integrated Practice Assessment Scale in addition to other instruments to measure the integration of clients' religion, spirituality, and mental health treatment. And has written for numerous academic journals, and her research has been featured in the Washington Post, Consumer Affairs, Religious Religion News Service, Business Standard, Baptist News, Global, and more. She also hosts the weekly podcast CXMH Christianity and Mental Health who the other host of the podcast is Robert Voren. And Robert was on, uh, on the podcast, you know, several years ago as well. And so I'd encourage you to check out the episode as well. We'll link to it in the show notes. She also lives in Waco with her husband and their two children as well. And she loves to read, paint, meditate, learn about others' stories over a cup of coffee, and most of all, spend time with her loved ones. And most recently, she is the author of the brand new book, which is out now, the soul of the helper, seven stages to seeing the sacred within yourself so you can see it in others. And so without any further wait, here is my conversation with Dr. Holly Oxhandler. It is so great to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today.
1: Thank you, Caleb. It is an honor to be here with you.
0: Yeah. And I'm, I'm super excited to talk with you about your brand new book, the soul of the healer or the soul of the helper. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but before that, one of the things that I, uh, have been really curious about, and I would love to ask for you, your thoughts on is, you know, with, uh, cove, with COVID-19 and the shutdown and the lockdown and just all of the mental health, uh, Challenges that just come with you know isolation and all of that and anxiety. I would be curious to hear your thoughts on how has you no know, just and this is going to be a very broad question, but yeah, how has okay. things yeah. how has things around mental health changed since the beginning of 2020? Uh, and I'd be curious on both like maybe the negative side and on the positive side too. Yeah, yeah,
1: it's a really good question. Um. I don't know. I can talk about the changes broadly. I don't know. I don't know if it would be helpful to put it in categories, but I could just say in in general. Um, So I I will say that through COVID, we had been tracking to see how folks are coping and, and navigating COVID and paying attention to their levels of anxiety and depression. I do know before COVID NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, had reported that about one out of five are currently struggling um, with mental illness. But through COVID, from some of the numbers that we saw coming in, um, that really jumped up to between 30 to 40 percent reporting symptoms of anxiety and depression. Um, So we have seen an increase in terms of symptoms around mental health struggles in general. And of course, we are certainly seeing higher levels of burnout among a lot of folks, especially helpers. Um, When you think about the doctors and the nurses and the teachers and the parents, um, the social workers and mental health care providers who are, are all just juggling so much and have been And at the same time, you know, there's a growing need for a number of things, but also um, we've had to adapt and change in a lot of ways. And those learning curves of like, how do you do a a therapy session, you know, virtually, if that's not something someone's done before, how do you teach kindergartners uh, uh, through Zoom? Like, how do parents, you know, juggle doing their work while they're sitting beside their first grader who's, you know, struggling with math, like all of that. I mean, we've definitely seen burnout rates rise and we've seen those symptoms of anxiety and depression rise. Now to your question though, too, we've also seen changes where you know there has been this incredible amount of resilience and adaptability and you know willingness for folks to to run and do what they need to do to serve others through this pandemic. Um and, and I think that's worth noting as well, like just seeing how therapists were like, all right, we're we're moving everything on, you know, on Doxy and or on Zoom or whatever you know program that they're using. Um, And teachers being like, okay, here we go. Like, (laughs) um, it's just, you know, I I feel like we have seen a lot of the resilience and adaptability that we as humans um, are capable of in serving others in a million different ways when we know the goal is to, you know, to help and to meet the needs around us. So...
0: One of one of the things that I want to follow up on about that is, you know, you were you were talking about the connection between um, our our mental health and then feeling burnout yeah. or, or experiencing burnout as well, which I don't think is such a. Um, if you're not familiar with mental health, it's not like a connection that you probably see too often. Mm-hmm. Uh, are there other connections or manifestations? Of us maybe struggling or being overwhelmed with our mental health that play itself out like burnout that we may not even realize that we're that we are dealing with.
1: Mm, that's a good question. I think there can be some overlaps between burnout and um, symptoms of anxiety and depression. So burnout is defined as um, having um, or experiencing depersonalization, a reduced sense of personal accomplishment. Um, and I'm trying to remember the third and I can't remember it off the top of my head, but that's okay. Um, but some of those things like depersonalization and reduced sense of personal accomplishment, like when someone's struggling with depression, that may easily show up, you know, for them as well. Um, so I do think that there's some overlap and if they're not clean, you know, categories between the two, somebody who is struggling with burnout may fall into experiencing depression or vice versa. But I think one of the things, too, in in juggling this with this, especially, again, after the last year and a half or so, is that we just we have seen these rates rise and um, and regardless of of you know what it is those symptoms are still things that we have to support and and navigate and treat to the best of our ability um and that may include you know seeking mental health support from a provider like a trained clinical provider um or a psychiatrist and getting the medication that we need to cope um whatever it is uh it's really important and then also of course leaning on those different strategies that we engage in to cope, which I know I mentioned all these other types of helpers that have had a pivot, but that also includes faith leaders, right? Like all of a sudden, like they're doing Facebook live, you know, services and, um, that they've never done before. And so, um, so I know that they were among that group too, but I also know that as we saw struggles With mental health um, issues on the rise through COVID, we also saw some data that showed that folks were leaning on their faith in ways that, um, in higher ways than they had in in the past. So they were turning to their faith through this existential crisis that a lot of folks were navigating through COVID. So, a good question.
0: Yeah talk to me a little bit like just as you were talking it just got me thinking of mm-hmm. like if you were like if we if we're in a situation and like everybody or maybe not everybody might be too generaliz- uh, too generalizing but i'm thinking like if you if you find yourself in a time to where a lot of your community is struggling and so your support uh-huh. network like the majority of your support network is struggling and you yourself are struggling yeah any thoughts on like how do you go about like dealing with that because at some point and hopefully it doesn't happen a lot during life. It's going to happen to us.
1: Yeah, no, that's a really good point. I think the first thing that we need to do is name it that we're struggling. We got to stop pretending that like, you know, you know. I think of like the the analogy of like a duck, you know, on top of the water where the duck is nice and calm, but like underneath it's like paddling really hard and fast, right? But we need to stop pretending that we're not struggling. We need to admit and own like, this is hard. And and I see that it's hard for you too. And how can we support one another in practical ways? How can we get the help that we individually need to be able to care for ourselves so that We can care for others because I really am a firm believer that like we can't give to others that which we are not tending to and offering to ourselves. Like we can't pour from an empty well. So when our community is struggling and we are struggling, I think the most important thing to do is to start by saying like, we're struggling. I'm struggling right now. I need I need a, I need help. we need help. How can we adapt and adjust the way that we do things and recognize we can't keep doing them in the same way that we've always done them because in this season that's just not possible. Um, and extending that grace, I think, to ourselves and one another is really important.
0: Another thing that I was curious, and then uh, you know, we could we can dive into some of the content around the book sure. and your story around there. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Is um, I'd be curious to know what's something that you've either learned personally, like about the 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 mental health field in the last couple of years, or even just something that like as a um, as a society, as you know, experts in the mental health field have discovered that has like changed your understanding of mental health.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I feel like we're constantly learning. That's one of the things I love about being a professor and a researcher is that I am always hungry to learn and better understand and um, empathize with others' experiences and learn from those. I would say that some things that we have learned in the last several years is that, and and then I've really been keeping in the forefront of my mind is, first of all, we have data that shows that Um, Over 80% of us are going to meet criteria for a diagnosable mental illness by the time we are a young adult or middle age. So there's a couple of longitudinal studies that have been done, which mean that they they track individuals for a long period of time. And in those studies, um, again, in both of them, over 80% of the participants ended up meeting criteria for a diagnosable mental illness. So To me, you know, while NAMI is saying one in five of us are struggling with a mental illness, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, okay, that's at one time point, but most of us are going to struggle with this at some point in our lives. And even if we're not currently struggling with it and to the degree to which we did at a previous point in our lives, um, we're still going to be in recovery from that for for many of us. And we're going to need to be taking care of ourselves in ways that, and um, prevent us from relapsing into some of those mental health struggles. So I think that's really important. And then um, the other piece that, you know, I, I certainly have been cognizant of in my research and, you know, in my lived experience, but then also just in the work that I'm doing in general is the fact that our spirituality and our mental health, they're connected to one another. Um, and that can be in both positive ways that they're connected, but there are also negative ways in which those are connected. Um, and I can, I mean, I can dive into that now, yeah. or if you want, yeah. you want me to go into yep. that now? Okay. Yeah, just go into that now. <laughs> um, so so we have research that shows that. When the mental health care provider ethically and effectively integrates their client's spirituality into mental health treatment, the treatment is either as effective, but in many cases, it's actually more effective than if their spirituality was just kind of cut out and not a part of the conversation or the treatment. Um, It is an area of client's culture and who they are that we've, we've just got to hold space for as mental health care providers. Um, So that's been like a big heartbeat behind the research that I've done and the work that I've done to basically start talking with mental health care providers to say, like, you don't avoid this topic. Like, don't keep it out of the therapy session. It is part of who your clients are. And it's important that we hold space for that um, in the work we do together. So We see it it being positively connected, as I mentioned, but we also see that there are ways that spirituality um, and mental health can be negatively connected to one another, such that, um, you know, there are folks who have experienced um, spiritual abuse and spiritual trauma over the years. There are ways that folks are navigating spiritual struggles and like, how does that fit in with their mental health condition? Like that can be really difficult. Um, You know, we might have someone who is struggling with depression. Who's like, God, like, where are you in this season? Like, I don't feel you in the ways that I did. And, And so again, it's important for us as mental health care providers to be like, okay, let's talk about that because- Obviously, your relationship with your higher power is important. And so how that, you know how we go about discussing your mental health through that is really important as well. So there's a lot more too. but like yeah. that's a quick little yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, would you mind, you know maybe just talking more about that example of <laughs> what you were saying? because I feel like that that is, like, I think, a thing that so many people get, you know, tripped up on is the the good God and, you know, our, our struggles, whether that be in mental health or just in life as well, what have you learned about like having those conversations with people and like, like just having healthy conversations around that?
1: Yeah, no, it's, that's good. So, I mean, we, first of all, we have to have the conversations. I mean, these, I know that our faith and our spirituality can be a a taboo topic that we oftentimes are like, oh, I don't really want to go there. Like we just, you know, we kind of avoid it. Um, but especially for those who do any work at this intersection, whether it's a mental health care provider or a faith leader, like I hope the faith leaders are hearing too that the mental health of their congregation is really important um, and ministering to that is important too. Not ministering to it in the way that a mental health care provider would, but paying attention to it and offering resources. Um but having the conversation first and foremost is where we start. We have seen in um, like Ken Pargament has done quite a bit of research in this area around religious coping. And um, he talks about these various styles of religious coping. So, um, So for many folks, they may engage in uh, a collaborative coping style where they are partnering with their higher power to navigate through those difficult seasons of life, whether that's tied to mental health or just life, as you mentioned. Um, we also see folks engaging in a deferring coping style where they basically say, "Okay, higher power, like you take care of all of this. I'm gonna step back and you know just you you handle it all." Um, and then we also see folks who engage in what's called a self-directed coping style, where they say, okay, higher power, you take the vacation, and I am going to, you know, white knuckle through this and navigate through this situation on my own. What we see in the research, though, is that those who engage in a collaborative coping style, who partner with their higher power through those difficulties, they actually have the most positive outcomes in what it is that they're navigating. Um, So, Again, like, you know, just having the conversation is really important, but then starting to think through some of this nuance is important too Please
0: out a little bit like maybe an example of like what that partnership can look like because especially if if you've never seen that before, it's really hard to live it out, yeah,
1: yeah, that's a really good point. Um so that partnership with that collaborative style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ken has Dr. Bargament. He's got a a lot of different um, examples of what that looks like, but it could be, for example, someone saying like, okay, I am going to do my part to submit that application, or I'm going to do my part of, you know, calling the therapist's office and trying to get into an appointment, or I'm going to do my part to, go to that 12 step recovery meeting, you know, just taking on their part, but then also knowing that their higher power, that God is with them through that. And that there are things that are mobilized behind the scenes that they can't control, um, that their higher power that God is, is doing to support them along the way, but staying in conversation with God, um, working with God, knowing that like it, it, they do what is theirs to do and that God is in charge of what is God's to do. Um, it just seems to really help in some pretty substantial ways as compared to the other styles that are like, I'm going to do nothing or I'm going to do everything.
0: Yeah. So. Uh, and like an in- uh, I want to give you an example that I thought of one of our I, I, yeah, I would thought love about to hear it, it. please um, because like what what it made me think of is it's a little bit like I thought of like you know our relate like if we have a boss our relationship with our boss as well
1: of mm. like you know
0: there there are things to where we have to do and like maybe larger conversations like outcomes that we're hoping for and there's a piece that mm-hmm. we have to do and yet our boss or our direct report can't even necessarily always tell us the thing that is happening right behind the scenes for it um, yeah. and stuff. And just thinking about like, just like the, thinking about the keys to the relationship and that of what you're saying, of just keeping in contact with them and yeah. keeping the conversation going. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a great example. I mean, I, I, yeah, I think it's a great example actually. So I don't really have any additional thoughts oh, no, to what you did, no. it was great, yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you about that, I like I always find myself like trying to figure out the line between this, and this isn't necessarily like it is it is a, a mental health thing, or maybe it's more of like the the helper thing, you know, that mm-hmm. you talk about in your book, is I always uh struggle with trying to figure out the line of like sharing my own story with somebody mm. and but not trying to like hijack what the other person is going through. Um uh, yeah. any any thoughts on that or any advice on that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, um, my best advice would be practicing discernment because I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to that. I think learning to be comfortable with another person's story is, is work that we have to do in many cases, because sometimes I think we'll share our stories out of discomfort with holding space for another person's story. Um, and then sometimes there is that clear nudge that like that other person needs to hear they're not alone. Mm-hmm. But I think practicing discernment and knowing which which direction to go and not just which direction, but the appropriate timing. Because if someone just says like, hey, this is what I'm going through. If you don't create some space for them to unpack that a little bit, you could jump right in and say, oh yeah, me too. Here's all the things that happened and da, 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 da. Um, but then they may feel shut down and unable to continue. So I think I would just say discernment is really important
0: for that. Uh, I want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier and, you know, you were talking about, um, like on on the faith leader side of things Mm -hmm. and how, um, like there, there are just things that we can, we can say, and we've probably all been guilty at one point in our life of saying things to where, you know, people, people take, The statement and they internalize the message and stuff like that, particularly Mm. around mental health. I would just love your thoughts on um, like, what are some things to where it's like, yeah, it's not going to be helpful if you say this thing. And then on the, Mm. on the revert or what you've heard, Hey, these are some messages that you've heard that people have internalized themselves because of the things that we've said. And on, I guess the flip side of that, how can we like talk about from from a faith perspective, or a faith leader perspective, in mental health, in much more healthier ways as well.
1: Yeah. Oh man. So I know, big question. <laughs> no, this, but there's such good questions, Caleb. Like I'm so glad you're asking them. So like, what are things specific to for faith leaders to be cognizant of and mindful and careful? Maybe <laughs> kind of what yep. you're getting at. Okay. Um, it's a really good question, and I'm really thankful that you asked it. Um. So I'm going to start with a hefty dose of humility and honesty of that, you know, I am not a faith leader. Um, and so I don't want to be imposing, mm-hmm. you know, too much, but I will say that I have certainly heard things over the years and I have experienced things myself from faith leaders and I have um, read enough in the research about some of this. So I'm coming from that perspective. I, I would first tell faith leaders. um. I would really wish for every faith leader to experience mental health counseling at some point because. I think we need to be reminded that we are human and that we all have things to navigate and layers of our stories to to wrestle with. Um, And I I think it is hard, as the saying goes, to lead others to places that you haven't been. Um, And so for faith leaders to do some of their own internal work, I think is really important, especially with a licensed mental health care provider. Now that said, um, I would also request that faith leaders um, be mindful of statements like "just pray about it," or "just read your Bible," or "just you know keep going to church," or "just give it up to God." You know, those types of statements, although they may have good intentions, they can be really harmful because. Sometimes folks need a mental health care provider. Sometimes they need medication. You know, that's hopefully not something that they would say to someone who came up to them and said, hey, you know, I broke my arm. You know, hopefully that faith leader is not saying like, just pray about it. You know, they'd be like, Oh my gosh, we got to get you to the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that sensitivity is really important too, especially because we do know that about a quarter of folks, when they start feeling symptoms of mental illness um, or mental health struggles, they will first go to their faith leader. So I would hope faith leaders here, you're really important in this um, process of seeking mental health care And with that, I would hope that they, um, can better discern again, like, okay, this is something, you know, they're saying that they're crying every day. They're saying that they're not sleeping well. They're saying that they're feeling, you know, increased levels of anger or, you know, they are engaging in this substance too frequently and they're not okay with it. Like we can sit beside them and pray with them and point them to, you know, some resources that are tied to our faith, but also, You know, let's point them to some resources that are tied to supporting mental health conditions. I think that's really important.
0: Definitely. Uh so as as I mentioned earlier, you know, you've written this book, The Soul of the Helper. And I always love uh hearing the story behind works of I and anytime that someone creates uh, a book, I consider it a work of art. And so I would love to hear uh your story behind creating that, or what are the things or the events in your life that led you to go, hey, I gotta put this out into the world?
1: Yeah, gosh, I, I love that question, Caleb. Um, and, and I will give a brief summary of it because I talk about it a little bit in the book, but, um, but there, you know, there is always a story behind it and I really appreciate you naming it as a work of art. Like that, that means so much to me. So I really appreciate you saying that and seeing that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Um,
1: So, so with this book, you know, I write quite a bit about, you know, some of the backstory behind it, not only with um, my personal journey, but also with the research And the reality is, you know, my job at Baylor is as an associate dean for research and faculty development. And I am very comfortable in the research world. Like (laughs) I, I, I love data. I love surveys. I love, you know, research papers and articles and understanding what the research says. Um, And to be transparent, like writing this book was quite a shift for me because I kind of had to set down the armor of research to really like move into and wrestle with the data and what it looked like in my own life. Um, So in this book, I talk about, you know, my own personal backstory uh, with layers of, you know, trauma and rejection and abuse that I experienced growing up. Um, I talk about my mom bringing me to mental health therapy when I was young. So when I was about 10, as she and my bio dad were going through their divorce. Um, I, gosh, I'm so grateful that she exposed me to mental health treatment when I was younger. Cause it normalized it like, oh, this is just, this is just what you do through difficult seasons to, and, and it's, it's hard work. Like I'm not going to oh. minimize that, but like, it was a gift to be exposed to that early on. Um, as I, because of some of these experiences I had growing up, you know, I really did want to help and serve others in one way, shape or form. And, and I remember being like, gosh, I would love to be a therapist. I would love to, I mean, when my friends were like, I'm going to be, a," you know, um, you know, I want to be a, a firefighter or, you know, a teacher or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to be a therapist. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, early on, I, I just knew. And as I kind of went into, you know, a better understanding psychology and, mental health care and treatment. Um, I, I I finished, I also had some opportunities to be exposed to research and like serve on some research studies as an assistant. And that just, I kind of enjoyed it. I mean, I was one of those college students who was like, this is fun. Um, so, and seeing the creativity that goes into research, like all of that was, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I started after I graduated from undergrad, I did some work with older adults with anxiety and depression. And in that work, um, I began to learn and see that like these older adults, their faith was an important part of their coping. And it was part of their strategies for navigating their mental health conditions. Um, but I was taught in my training, like, don't talk about that. Like we don't, we don't do that. Um, and I had heard from my own therapist, some of my therapists in the past that said like, oh, we don't, we don't talk about that in this space. So I was really curious about that. Um, I went and started my MSW at University of Houston. And um, during that time realized like there really wasn't a lot of research looking at this intersection of faith and mental health. Um, and so I've I've kind of just dived into doing that work to the best of my ability um, as I've been doing that research, though, over the years, and um, one of my studies actually, actually no, and a few of them, I started to notice that uh, again, looking at the degree to which mental health care providers integrate their clients' faith into treatment, I began noticing that the mental health care providers, like the degree to which they are deeply motivated to live out their faith, ended up becoming the top predictor of, uh, whether and the degree to which they integrate their client's faith. So that really shifted kind of not only my research, but honestly, my own way of being, because I, I started to see this pattern, not only in my data, but in others. Um, and, this Hindi term, namaste, which literally translates to mean I bow to you, but more generally translates to mean the sacred in me recognizes the sacred in you or the divine in me recognizes the divine in you. That brought order to what I was seeing in the data. Um, I I spent some time trying to better understand the cultural roots of that term because especially in social work like we really pay attention to that and want to honor those cultural origins of um the you know these these words and these areas that we're studying and and as i understood this term and how it was fitting with my data it i mean it just really reoriented the data in recognizing that the more that the provider was seeing the sacred in themselves the more they were seeing this and talking about it with their clients so So to your point about like the story behind the book, I, as I started to understand namaste theory, I really got to a point, Caleb, where I was like, I can't not write this book. Like, I, I mean, transparently, like I, it, it was, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a point it, which it felt like I can't not write it, and if I were to not write it, like I just didn't want it to die within me, yeah. basically. Um, and so I wrestled with it. It took me about three and a half years to write this book. Um, it wasn't a quick overnight, you know, b- book yeah. um, because I had to learn to embody it, and and that's what I write about really in the second part of the book is like kind of that embodying experience and these seven stages that surfaced um, organically as I lived into and wrestled with this idea of namaste theory. And that it's not just for mental health care providers, but that it is for helpers in general, whether that's, again, parents or teachers or um, faith leaders or uh, volunteers, on and on and on. Like it is for all of us, so.
0: Yeah, Uh, I'm curious about uh, the namaste Theory, and I would just love uh your thoughts on um h- how do we become better at seeing the divine in ourselves and then on the flip side helping other people see the the divine in themselves too because neither one of those I think are they're not easy to do and there are cons they're constant work
1: yes they are and it's really easy to avoid both of these right like it's so easy to just be like i I don't want to do that work. That's hard and scary. And I also think that there are layers of development behind them that like, you know, I can't tell my five-year-old to seek the sacred within him in a way that he will fully understand um, as I could, you know, somebody who's maybe later in life or something like that. Um, so I think as far as the skills, this is something that, again, I I elevate a ton of different practices in this book to help us. Um, but it really comes down to these seven stages that I have outlined and those stages are waking up to the speed. They all begin with an S too. So as your listeners hear, like an S with each of these words, that's the, the chapter, um, So waking up to the speed at which we've been operating in this go, go, go culture and all of the ways in which, you know, we don't even realize how addicted we are to this high speed pace environment that we're in, um, to then learning how to slow down and be able to actually kind of be in that slower pace for a while, um, creating and identifying some steadying structures uh, that help us stay in that slower pace. Because again, if we've been operating at this high speed pace for so long, it's really hard to slow down. So those steadying structures kind of help us, you know, they serve as that scaffolding to to hold us in that space. Um, The next one, so it's speed, slow, steady, still is the next one. This is hard for many of us again, right? Because of the culture that we're in and you know there's there's implicit messaging around like stillness is not good it's lazy you shouldn't be still like there's more value in productivity and efficiency but the reality is is if we are not still, we are not going to be able to see the sacred within us. And that is the next chapter to be able to actually see. And I use this illustration in the book of um, like when I would go out on the lake when I was a kid, like paddling out on my canoe. And, you know, it was only when that water surface was completely still that I could see beneath the surface and see accurately. And in many ways I would see, you know, or as we move into this space, we see the Good, but we also see the hard and the, the darkness and the heaviness too, the grief, those things we've repressed. All of that is in there, and all of it deserves um us holding space for and recognizing. Um, and as helpers, we also not only do we see the divine spark, but we also recognize and we see that maybe a lot of ways that we've been trying to help and serve others may not have always been helpful or healing. We actually may have hurt people along the way. And that's hard to wrestle with. Um, So from that place of C, then we move into shift, which is shifting towards self-compassion for ourselves and recognizing like we have been doing the best we could with what we have for as long as we have been engaged in this work. Um, And not only shifting towards having compassion for ourselves, but, and seeing the sacred in ourselves, but seeing the sacred in others as well and extending that compassion towards others as well. Um, And then from that place of seeing the sacred within ourselves, then we move out into serving others and ourselves. And when I say serving ourselves, I'm not talking about like serving our egos. I'm not talking about, you know, serving those, our personalities or our attachments, but serving our soul, um, really. And, and knowing that we are worth the love and care that we extend to so many others. Um, but if we lose sight of that, I really worry again, going back to our earlier part of the conversation, I really worry that that we are at risk of that burnout and exhaustion and, um, Depletion overall. So, learning how to to then serve from that place of abundance and recognizing that the divine is within us is really important.
0: Yeah, there you you have this uh, quote in there which really stood out to me because it's something I feel like this is this like this is part of the things that I've really been focusing on the past uh, couple of years. Mm-hmm. You know, you say um, we hold sacred beliefs and lived experiences, and those beliefs and experiences are important to consider in our mental health. Treatment. I would be curious to hear, and I and I'm sure it's tied to some of the things that you've already talked about as well. Uh, it's really hard to see those things. Uh, for, yeah. Like I'll just give you an instance that I just yes, found of one that, that was driving me. Um, yeah. So you know, there's uh, there's this uh, there's this verse in Romans to where it says, you know, do everything that you can to be at peace with everybody. Um, and I've realized that I had never defined what everything is what everything you do is to be right with somebody. And so naturally uh. I would over-function and would just keep doing anything because I wanted to be right with everybody and not realizing that I hadn't defined what enough is for that. Um, and so I'm curious to hear, uh, like that belief had been driving me like a lot of my life, uh, and yes. it's still something that I yes. deal with as well too. Yeah, um, but it's hard to see those things, and so I would just be curious How, on your. Take. Well,
1: before you before you ask, I want to hear like what does that look like for you? How have you wrestled with determining that sense of enough, or you know where you find that threshold? What is that? What has that been like for you, Caleb?
0: Finding the threshold of it, uh, it has felt more freeing, <laughs> in it mm. because like I I. Uh, like I would always, like, I would just always wonder like, man, have I done enough to like save the relationship, uh, for, or to be at peace in the relationship for. It? And so like, I would always just have this same, like, just, just this ever present anxiety of like, okay, do I need, like, do I need to do another thing for it? And so it's mm-hmm. helped me of going like, nope, this is like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not doing anything beyond that. It is the other person's responsibility, which is still tough. Yeah. Um, yes, it is. To do that too.
1: Yeah, it is. It is really hard. I mean, finding that threshold, even the process of finding it is really hard. But recognizing, like, I'm glad to hear that it's been freeing for you. That's really good. Yeah. Once you find it, that's good. Yeah.
0: I'm just curious, like for you, because we all, we all have those beliefs that are driving what we are doing invisibly and influencing us. And so I would just be curious your thought, and I know that it ties back to a lot of what you already covered in the stages, Mm -hmm. um, but how can we go about like proactively, like discovering those beliefs?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good question. I I think there's a balance between us like seeking out to understand it and also a degree to trusting the process and knowing that those things will come to our awareness, um, as they're, as, as they're meant to, like, we can't checklist our way through becoming aware of all the things, right? Like we, we have to kind of do a little bit of both of that self-exploration and trusting the overall process. Um I think that, you know, I think that this is a big reason why I overemphasize uh, to a degree the importance of tending to our inner landscape in this book, because um, we do have blind spots and things that we're unaware of, and we operate out of those without realizing it. Um, and, you know, it It is important for us to be able to carve out that space, to do that self-reflective, contemplative, slow inner work um, and wrestling with both our faith and our mental health and how those are connected to one another um, as we try to better understand our inner landscape and become more aware of it. Um, In in the book, I do elevate a number of practices that do help us kind of hopefully begin to wake up to some of those things, Um, recognizing that there is grace in the fact that, you know, many of us may be in a a space of pre-contemplation where we're just not even aware of, you know, all the things that we're doing and why we're doing them and we go and do and serve and help and without realizing those, those invisible strings that are attached to the things that we do for others. Um But I also write about like some, some different layers of who we are that Uh, that do I think help us point to or better understand kind of why we do some of those things. So for example, I write about like Keating's programs for happiness in there. Um, And he writes about like that we, for, for each of us, there's usually one area of our lives that we didn't really get those needs met um, to the same degree growing up. And so that could either be in power and control or in affection and esteem, or with security and survival, or safety and security. And with any of those three areas, we may over function, which you were kind of talking about a moment yeah. ago. We may over function to like try to earn that power and control, or affection and esteem, or security and survival. Um, and we do it without realizing it. Like we're not intentionally, mindfully doing it, but we have to begin to understand. Those different areas and why we do that. Um, I also write about like personality structures. I know I, I am a big fan of the Enneagram, and that's been st- you're nodding your head. So yeah. I'm assuming you know what yep. that is. Yep.
0: Yeah,
1: do you, do you, you do? Oh, that's yeah, right. Co- you had Suzanne on yeah, the show. We've, we've that's, covered, right. Yeah. Yep. that's right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Do you have you outed yourself of what number you are oh, yeah. on the yeah. show?
0: I'm, I've talked about it a lot. I'm a three.
1: Ah. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're my wing space. Yes. So I'm, yeah. So I identify with type two. So, um, uh, which I, obviously I, I write a book <laughs> called Yeah, <laughs> the soul of the helper. So for, for listeners who are not familiar with the the names, the two is lovingly called the helper. So, um, it's very in yeah. line with, yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, like when we understand our personality structures and types that helps us to see those shadow sides, as well as, you know, the things that we're doing and maybe some of those motivations for why we do them. Um, and then, um, the other piece that I elevate is tied to Henry Nowen's lives of identity. So Henry Nowen has taught us over the years that many of us, um, that these lies of identity include, I am what I have, I am what I do, and I am what others say or think about me. And we hook onto those in a lot of different ways and we operate out of those. Um, and, And so anyways, going back to your question, like it is slow, quiet, intimate work to pay attention to that inner landscape and the ways in which we are engaging in the world and what we do. Um, but, but slowly and surely we begin to better understand those lived experiences, those beliefs that are within us, those ways in which we operate in the world, um, and slowly begin to hopefully become more aware of those blind spots or those things that we've been previously, um, unaware of.
0: Uh, one of the that I wanted to ask you about, and I know that this is a little bit of a, uh like there's, there's not an easy answer. And and it for some people it could be a little bit of a touchy subject. Um, but I would be curious to know of how can we go about like diagnosing in ourselves of whether or not we are dealing with something that is like a mental health challenge versus something that is like a different type of challenge with it. Um, and I guess like thinking, like thinking in terms of like, um, okay, we, we need to you know, either prioritize our mental, and again, I'm, I'm always a proponent for prioritizing our print, for mental health. And this is why I think it's such a tricky, tricky mm-hmm. question that I'm asking Yeah. That. And, and like seeing help and asking for, you know, counselors and all of that stuff versus like, no, this isn't like, this isn't a mental health thing. Like, this is just something that we have to do. This is like a life thing. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does. It does make sense. Um, Yeah. But I, and I think I would push back just a little bit to say that like mental health is a life thing. Like, you know, that, that our mental health is a spectrum, just like our physical health. And there may be times that we are really struggling. Um, and there may be times that we're thriving and flourishing. And so I do want to just at least bring those together for a quick minute to say like our mental health stuff is a life thing. Um, I would say that, you know, this is one of those things that I think it's it's always so important to to touch base with a mental health care provider or your regular primary care physician as a starting point, because I don't think it's something we can diagnose within ourselves, especially when we're really struggling. You know, the, the thing that we need to help us cope is the thing that's struggling. And so I don't think it's on us to to diagnose or or anything. I think it's it's on us to reach out for help. And, and some of this is actually woven into the study chapter. So learning how to receive help from others. Um, and maybe that means reaching out to your primary care provider and saying, Hey, I'm kind of struggling in some of these ways. Can we talk? Like, I don't know if it's, if it's a mental health thing. I don't know if it's tied to my diet. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm overworking and overfunctioning in ways that are really impacting my mental health. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of systemic things that influence our health and our mental health in a lot of ways too. Um, and and so I would start by like receiving help from a trained provider, whether that's a, men- a mental health care provider or uh, a primary care physician. And I would say, too, I mean, something that we're really trying to do within our home is to normalize that mental health treatment um, and recognize that, you know, in the same way, we go and get a dental checkup twice a year. Right. And we go and get a physical health checkup once a year. Um, I don't see why we don't spend some time or advocate for more of a mental health checkup on at least like an annual basis. It doesn't have to be, you know, a big, long, extensive, you know, treatment, but at least a check-in that just so that you build that rapport with a licensed provider so that when crisis does hit, you have someone to turn to who you trust and have already built that relationship with. Yeah. So, Yeah.
0: I got one more thing I want to ask you about,, uh, okay, but before sure. that I love just giving people just is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to make sure that we talk about?
1: Um, I don't think so. I mean, we covered the stages, which I really appreciate. I think that I would just want our. I think, I mean, and yeah, I'm curious to hear what your question is, but I do think I want your listeners to hear from me more than anything, especially if they are helpers, which I guarantee they are, whether it's again, as a parent or partner, caregiver, faith leader, teacher, on and on, um, is that they are worth tending to and caring for the gift of their lives that, so often we are oriented towards serving others and helping others and giving to others. And that is good, good work. And we need folks to continue serving others in those ways, but I don't want folks to lose sight. No, not, but, and I don't want folks to lose sight um, of the gift of their own life and how much I would imagine God grieves when we are burning out and overfunctioning. And, and this gift of our life is not taken seriously. So. Uh,
0: the, the last thing I want to ask you about is I, I emailed your co-host Robert uh-huh. <laughs> uh, for the Christian mental health podcast. And I said, Hey, what, what is something that would be that uh, Hollywood would want to talk about that, um, that I wouldn't know about. And he talked about Mr. Rogers. And oh. I would love to hear the impact that Mr. Rogers has had on you and some of the things that you've learned from him and how you've integrated that into your life as well.
1: Oh my gosh. I love that. Robert had told me that he had told you some other things. I don't know if he actually <laughs> ended up doing oh, it. he did. That's what I was, he did. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what I was waiting for. So I was not uh. expecting the Mr. Rogers thing. That's awesome. Oh, I love that. Okay. Yay, Robert. I'm proud of him. That's awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I I grew up watching, watching Mr. Rogers as a kid and the safety and stability and consistency and attention to our emotions and Um, all of that was really important to me growing up, but I had a whole new appreciation for Mr. Rogers. Um, when in, I think it was in 2017 or 2018, I write about it in the book, but, um, I stepped down from serving in this 12 step ministry that my husband and I were serving in, um, to tend to my own work with individual therapy. and instead of serving in this ministry, Wednesday nights became like Mr. Rogers and Pizza nights with my kids. So I would watch back through these old episodes of Mr. Rogers with my kids and I realized, man, these these episodes were so good for kids, but they're really important for adults to be watching and hearing. And I think we lose sight of the wisdom in kids programming and messaging and books and things like that. Um but I feel like watching back through um, Mr. Rogers as an adult really helps me wake up and see that we are loved, that we are beloved as we are, that there is nothing we need to do to earn that love, that we are unique and we are a gift. And um, and I just don't think that's the messaging we hear in our culture on a day-to-day basis and being reminded of that wisdom. um, And not only the fact that, you know, that each of us are beloved, but that everyone around us is as well. I think we, we need to be reminded of that. Um, So yeah, I, I I mean so much so that like we just released the first or the episode talking. I don't know if, if Robert told you this, but um but we released uh the episode on CXMH talking about this book and he told you this. Yeah, why? Well, <laughs> and I was I, like
0: <laughs> I subscribed to the feed, so I haven't got a chance to listen to it yet, but I did see, yeah. Okay.
1: That's awesome. So we, so when I saw that episode 143 was coming up, I was like, Robert, we need to have I want the soul of the helper to be episode 143. And the reason is because Mr. Rogers was, you know, that was his favorite number because 143 stands for I love you, like when you break down the number of letters in each word. Um, and he even would talk about how he would keep his weight at 143 uh, because it was so important to him. Um, so, but I just, I'm just so, so grateful for Fred Rogers presence within our world. And that I, I mean, that I lit, I got to live during a time that I could learn from him and have his resources available for my kids to learn from as well. So thanks for asking that. Yeah, yeah that's good.
0: Definitely. You're welcome. Well, Holly, I know that people are going to want to pick up the book, follow the podcast, you know, keep up with you. Where's the best place for people to go to do all of those things?
1: Yeah. Thank you, Caleb. Um, so folks can go to my website at hollyoxhandler.com. Um, and there are links to be able to pre-order the book on that website, um, as well as links to access the podcast, which, as you mentioned, is called CXMH. Um Folks can find me on any social media at Twitter, uh, Facebook, or Instagram at Holly Oxhandler. Um, and if folks are interested, I also have a a one week self care for helpers guide that I offer on my website, and it's free. You get an email a day for seven days, and I kind of walk you through creating your own self care plan. Um, just again to help these helpers. Um, And then uh, folks get my monthly newsletter when I sign up for that as well, so.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today and thanks for doing the work and creating the book.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Caleb, and for the space that um, you're having these conversations and I appreciate it.
0: I think coming out of that conversation, there's a couple of things uh, that really stand out to me. One, I love uh, her pushback on that and even just uh you know correcting me and providing the feedback on on that thinking and just realizing you know for myself of of what role that that mental health really does play a role in every aspect of our life and it is a factor in every in everything that happens to us. And I think the other thing is just reinforcing and affirming just how important of of just a thing that mental health is to understanding better and how it affects us and how we can grow um and become mentally mentally emotionally you know spiritually physically healthy all of that stuff um also like the role that that they're just they're they're all integrated together and they all they all play a factor on our overall health as well and so super grateful to have Holly on on the podcast today and if you enjoyed this episode as well, I would encourage you to leave a re- review and let me know on Apple Podcasts. That would mean a ton. Or hit follow or subscribe on the podcast as well. And you will never miss an episode. If you have something or uh something or someone that you would love us to talk with on the podcast, please reach out to me at learnerscornerpodcast at gmail.com. Would love to hear from you or just things that you're excited about learning about in general. Would love to hear from you and that. And yeah, I think that is all that I have for today I do want to give a quick shout out and say thanks to Garrett Oler for doing the editing on this podcast thank you Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast and thank you the listener for listening all the way to the end of the episode as well and thanks again Tali for being on the podcast also I think that's all that I have for today and so until next time keep learning and keep growing